0: Well, good morning. I hope you are prayed up, full of the Spirit of God, a heart wide open to hear His Word, because God has got something very good for us today and for next week, very excited about this series. So go ahead and open your Bibles to 1 Peter, chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Here's what it says. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, in His great mercy, Open our hearts. Give us understanding. We expect, Lord, by your spirit that you will challenge us today. Reveal something to us, Lord, about how we're to move down the path in obedience to you. We're trusting you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. The safest place on earth is the U.S. Bullion Depository. Now, you know it as Fort Knox because it was built on land adjacent to that army base. It houses $137 billion worth of gold, 5,000 tons of precious metals, all behind a 22-ton door. The combination of that door has been disseminated to 10 different staff people, and each person has a partial code. No one person knows the total code. The code has to be inserted by one person at a time, and behind that door, in the Treasury, is the safest place on Earth. And if you were crafty enough to break the code and get in, well, if you tried to get out, you wouldn't get far. You'd have to get past armed guards, missile tanks, Apache helicopters, infrared surveillance, video cameras, and concrete reinforced granite walls. And if you try to break in, you're going nowhere. At the height of World War II, Fort Knox had the privilege of housing some of the most precious documents in the world. The Magna Carta, the Declaration of Independence, the US Constitution, Abraham Lincoln's Gettysburg Address, the Gutenberg Bible. That depository has housed the crown jewels of the English family and some national reserve of other European countries as well. The stuff in there, well, it's safe. Think about the meanings of safe. Now, I have a safe in my home. Now, it doesn't house anything of material value. It just keeps people out of my stuff, Gavin. See, a safe is where you keep and protect what's important so that it remains safe and you know the movie Jurassic Park it's got two kids in it cute smart ordinary kids and Sam Neill plays Dr. Alan Grant who rescues these kids from the Raptors and the T-Rex a number of times during the movie but every time he rescues them they still aren't safe not until they're choppered off that island now I didn't think that I'd wind up ruining that movie for you, did I? I mean, it's only been out 27 years. And those little kids in the movie, they're around 40 years of age now. Getting rescued is important. But you have to be out of the danger you're rescued from, too. You've got to be safe. I wonder if you know where I'm going with this. The good news, the gospel of Jesus tells us that every human has an orientation towards sin. We do it, and we usually love it. And that orientation, however, is not benign. It is a deadly and perilous condition. Sin damages us on the inside. Our sins damage other people, sometimes in really bad ways. The Bible tells us very bluntly that our sins incur God's anger and lead to his just penalties. Sin ruins our lives and produces an afterlife that is miserable, dreadful, and eternal. And so you're wondering, okay, you talked about good news, Tim. When we get to that part, we'll get to it, okay? Because the New Testament clearly teaches and the Old Testament promises and anticipates that the Messiah, Jesus Christ, was going to be sent by God, the Father, to rescue us from the consequences of sin and to give us a new orientation in life away from sin and toward loving gratitude and glad obedience to God, to his word, and to his ways. Paul tells us in 1 Timothy 1, verse 15, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. In 2 Corinthians 5, 21, Paul says, Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You see, those scriptures, they tell us about the rescue part. But I believe we sometimes place on a back burner the keeping us safe part. Just because our sins are paid for doesn't mean that we can go neutral on sin. Yes, our sins, past, present, sins we haven't yet committed, they are paid in full by the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ on the cross. It is finished, he said. It's paid in full. But sin still offends our Father. Sin exacted a terrible toll on Jesus. The Bible tells us that sin grieves the Holy Spirit. And sin still damages us and hurts others too. Moreover, nowhere in the New Testament is personal sin minimized for believers. Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5, they lie about the extent of their contribution to the church, which, by the way, their contribution was substantial. But they lied about it, and they died for doing so. Were they really evil, atrocious people? No. But the church was just getting started, and God used them... As an unforgettable example that sin is still sin and it's lethal as well as offensive. You see my point? God doesn't rescue us from the T-Rex to let the raptors eat us for lunch. He rescues and he keeps us safe. So here I am. I was lost dead in my sins, and now I'm found and rescued and forgiven and accepted by my Father. But sooner or later the question comes, could I lose all that? The answer is, yes, I could. Anyone could. But please, please. Hear the next thing I say. God won't lose me. He keeps safe those he saves. Could I lose it? Sure, I could. God won't let me. He won't lose me. He keeps safe those he saves. Now, some of you may be aware that there is a discussion among Christians over the question, if someone is saved, are they always saved, or can they lose their salvation? And there are indeed certain passages in the New Testament that might seem to indicate that a person may come to faith in Jesus, as a result, have their sins paid for, and then at a subsequent time reenter a condition of sinfulness so extensive that they are now unsaved And lost again. And some great, smart, seasoned Bible scholars come to that conclusion. Now, it's beyond our purpose here this morning to unpack and get into all that discussion. But I humbly declare to you that I am tasked by the Holy Spirit this morning to announce to you that there is clear and ample testimony in the New Testament that God's settled intention is not only to save sinners, but to keep us safe and bring us all the way home. And because I'm addressing a group of fellow humans, I know that you are involved to some extent with thoughts, actions, and attitudes that you yourself would admit are incompatible with a heart that loves God and believes in Jesus and Wants to serve him and reach others. And and you wonder, is God okay with that? You wonder, as you look into sin in your life, is he still okay with me? Does he have some sort of plan to straighten this out, to straighten me out? I'm telling you this now. And you need to believe it because the Word of God teaches it. His plan is to keep you safe from the poison of sin and he has the power to do so. The passage that we read at the opening, let's take a look at it again. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-5. to five. He starts off in worship. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's worshiping God then he talks about the rescue, he says, in his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. But he goes on, verse 4, and into an inheritance that can, hear this, never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who are, through faith, shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed at the last time. Paul's worshiping God and he's saying, praise be to God because he's rescued us and he's keeping us. Paul is saying our future in God's family is as certain as our present is Not because of us, but because of him. That's what Peter says here. He has given us new birth into hope and into an inheritance that cannot perish, spoil, or fade. And why can't it be lost? He says it is kept in heaven for you, who are, through faith, shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. We trust in God. We put faith in God and his gospel to save us. And through that same trust, through that same faith, we are shielded by God's power until we get all the way home. All of us Christ followers have a story of how circumstances occurred and we found ourselves lost and in need of God. And we heard about Jesus and, and, and we've, we want to turn to him and we want to turn away from our sins. And we accepted him as our Savior and asked him to accept us and give us new life. And it's called your testimony, right? And we all have a story about how that happened to each of us. And it really happened. And we tell it. But sometimes later, it occurs to us all that it didn't just sort of naturally flow that way. Yes, I did something. I accepted Jesus' offer of his love and his acceptance and his forgiveness. I did that. I accepted it. I received him. But why did I? Did I all of a sudden get smart? Did I make myself humble? Did I just kind of blossom and mature and open my eyes? No. God did something first. He came looking for me. He opened my blind eyes. He changed. He changed me before I ever wanted to change one thing. Him. The Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 2 verse 8, he says, for it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Even our faith he tells us was given by Him so that I could trust Him. It wasn't resident in me, it was foreign to me. But that's what He did for me. That's what grace is. God does something for us that we don't deserve and can never do on our own. By grace, you have been saved through faith. And that faith is a gift. And since then, he continues to give me faith to rely on his power to shield me from sin messing with me and me messing with sin. In another letter, Paul writes in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, he says, So then, just as you received... Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. I received Christ by faith that he gave me. And now he says, walk by that same faith that he gives. And by the way, the Father gave us to Jesus. Jesus talks about this. He talks about this shielding, this protection, because we've actually been given to him by the Father. In John chapter 6, starting in verse 37, he says, All those the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. In verse 39, And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. Jesus comes at it in another way, in John chapter 10, starting in verse 27. He's talking about himself being the good shepherd, and he says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. Do you hear what Jesus is doing here? Do you hear what he's saying? Is it building faith in you about what he can be doing in your life? Jesus is asserting the power of the creator of the universe to keep us safe and to bring us home. Okay, let's get real honest here. We know how powerful sin can be. And I'm talking to believers here, people that have claimed Jesus as their Savior. But we still live in this world, and we know how powerful sin can be. We've seen it entice us and lure us. Its power is seen in its addictive qualities. We marry and then blow up our marriages and then marry again and again and never deal with the toxic stuff in us that erodes our passion, our vows, our sacrifice for our spouse. We encounter rage and indignation and bias against or contempt for another human being and then find satisfaction in their misfortune. We give into jealousy. We give into to greed. We measure and bemoan our dissatisfaction with life and our frustration with people. All the while forgetting the abundance that we have in Jesus. And we ignore the reality that our life has nothing to do with pleasing ourselves. That's sin at work. And all that sin is powerful. It's a life-shaping influence that can indeed run us right off the road. But I believe, and you need to know, that the power of sin has been broken utterly by the exact same hand that saves us. Because of the hand of Almighty God, we are kept, we are safe all the way home. And that way home involves God exercising his power to shift us away from accommodating and desiring sin. That's how God's going to work that in us. He's going to use that power to shift us away from being open to making room for sin in our lives to even having a desire for it. Again, back to Peter the Apostle. He knew that Jesus was the Messiah. He said so. You are the Christ, he told Jesus. The Son of the living God. And then he denied him three times. Peter knew the tenacious clutch of sin. But when we look at his writings we also realize he experienced experienced something much more powerful. Turn to 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Look what he knows now. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. And through these... He has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. Peter tells us the power of God has rescued you, that God gave you faith to believe and receive this. My friends, the power of God will keep you. It will make you godly. It will draw you closer to Jesus. And it will bring you all the way home. And we have so much more to look at next week. Let's pray. Father, a inventory Of our life, our choices, and our behavior wouldn't be complete if we didn't recognize that there is some prevailing and remaining sinful attitudes, actions, inclinations of heart that we're not free of. We haven't experienced the freedom yet. By your great power, Lord, you came into each of our lives. You called us out of darkness and into the light of the life of your son. You saved us and paid the penalty for our sins. You've made us into a new creation. And we've been created in this new creation to obey you, to magnify you and to glorify you with our lives. Oh God, your hand is so powerful. Work that power in each of us now to keep us in your purposes and in your will to keep us, Lord, from running off the road into some sort of destruction, injury to ourselves and others. Injury, Lord, to your reputation because people know that we stand with you. By your great power, Lord, lead us into a godly path in life. Show us what that means. But do it, Lord, so that we would not foolishly and futilely rely upon our own strength, our own ingenuity, and certainly not our own will. But as we have received you as Lord, teach us how to walk in you now in the same way, with faith, believing in your great power and your great promises we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you next time.